Welcome to the Emotions and Money podcast, where we unpack the psychology behind our investment decisions and why our emotions could be sabotaging our financial outcomes. I'm your host, Maya Fisher-French, and I'm joined by Paul Nixon, who's the head of Behavioral Finance at Momentum Investments. We're going to explain why, when it comes to investing, understanding your money emotion is as important as understanding the investment itself. Over the last five episodes, we've been making the case that our personality and even our biology affect our financial decisions and the way we perceive money. But now, Paul, you, in conjunction with Pretoria University, have actually put together a very interesting assessment, uh, which give advisors, I think it's, it's aimed at advisors, they're going to give the advisors the ability to diagnose their client's personality and then have obviously a much more personal discussion about their financial behavior. And Paul, I must tell you, you know, you gave it to me to do. It's called Your Money Fingerprint. It was so accurate. <laughs> it was fascinating. And Paul even gave me tips about my money. <laughs> he did tell me to spend more. I think it was something he told <laughs> That's all I, I read. Actually. He did. That's all I read. <laughs> That's the only part I remember. <laughs> but Paul, just ex- you know, unpack what, what does this money fingerprint do? How does it pull together everything we've been discussing um, in the last five podcasts? Yeah, so, I mean, it's trying to incorporate or give, a, give the advisors a, a systematic way of, of you know, including that risk discussion that we talked about, what kinds of risk you should be um, you know, thinking about. Um, but how do you combine that with someone's um, cash flow management, their daily cash flow management, which comes from the money attitude? So, um, you know, money attitudes and then finally the personality dimensions as well. So, mm-hmm. so look, it is really more of a, I would say, a compass than a GPS. So it's, it really provides sort of fertile ground to start having discussions about, um, you know, about money. But if you look at the nub of it, I mean, it really is about sort of two things. It's about being present orientated and impulsive versus future orientated and in that way, goal orientated, and and that's really, I mean, that's the the basic of it. And if you think about it, that's really the the crux of financial behaviour. And that's why some people find it a lot easier to save and invest mm. because they are more future orientated, goal orientated, which yeah. was my personality mm. type. And there are people who are more present and impulsive, which was funny enough more your personality yeah. type. Mm. And um, I I found the, the this absolutely fascinating. Um, and also how there things balance themselves out. So there is also moderation. So sometimes your money attitude and your personality can actually balance each other out and mm. even your risk tolerance. But one thing we haven't really unpacked, so we've unpacked risk attitudes, we've unpacked your personality, which was ocean. Let's maybe spend a little bit of time on money attitudes and, and really unpacking those and then explaining our behavior um, and, and how that results how that affects our financial yeah. um, decisions. So, so if we look at um, money attitudes, and, and again, this depends. There's many different ways to to view this, but the three lenses that we've used to to assess money attitudes um, are whether someone is very expressive with money. So we call that you know money prestige. Um, so there are people out there who like to influence other people um, with money, and they also like to um, you know so they like to demonstrate their wealth, for example. So you know they always say there's a again it's a, I think it's a, I think it was a Morgan Housel example, but there's a very big difference between being rich and being wealthy. In actual fact, they're the opposite ends of the, of the scale, mm. right? So rich is the stuff you can see. Wealth is the stuff you can't see. Mm. You know, it's the stuff that's sitting in, in investments and, and all those kind of things. But but there are people out there who um, who are very expressive with their money. Um, that also lends itself, again, we've spoken about that inclination towards investing in very, very high moving assets like crypto, for example, and attributing that skill to, uh, or attributing that result rather or the outcome to skill as opposed to, you know, that sort of awareness that it's it's 
probably mostly luck. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be expressive with money, but again, it, it's a, it's an awareness thing, right? So there's no if you look at the measurement scales of these things, you can't say that you know anything high or low is bad or good. I mean, it's it's an awareness thing. So so you need to understand. I mean, I've I've given the example of my own behavior as well because I come out as more money expressive. Um, I do like investing in high risk assets, um, but I also liked to always. I mean, I gave the example of you know buying a nice car because of the fact that I had a bad childhood experience with people laughing at my parents rocking up at school in in a very old beaten up car. So, so they, you know, it's, it's an awareness and understanding thing, and there's nothing wrong with buying expensive cars if you can afford them. Um, but if you're buying an expensive car to get someone else's respect, then you're buying it for the wrong reason, um, mm. and that's the important thing, right? So there's nothing wrong with wanting to buy a Ferrari or owning a, you know, luxury cars. Um, just, just make sure that what you're you're getting what you're paying for, if that if if that makes sense. Um, and I think it's important just to run that filter over all the time and yeah. saying. What is driving this need mm. to have this? Um, where is this coming from? And just an awareness. And you spoke also about being an extrovert um, and, and how that – and you, you, you're you an extrovert. Uh, you have money prestige. And, and so a lot of those often come together. So mm. on the money uh, – the personality traits, yours would be you'd – be, you'd be tend towards extrovert. Mm. So it's just aware, saying, that's who I am. I'm, I'm extroverting. I like to be with people. I enjoy the yeah looking good having the car there's nothing wrong with that I mean I'm 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 sadly uh, the opposite I like seeing my investment balances right I'm a complete nerd which I understand as an issue um you know I one has to to, to I've got to keep reminding myself that it's also okay to to spend and, and, and that it's also okay nice to, to have to, to buy the nice things and not panic too much about that balance in the, in the investments. But it is harder for someone who's who's got money, prestige, extrovert, to save and invest. So what do you do to counter that? Yeah, so I mean there's some there's again, it's the awareness and it also doesn't matter even if you have very good money behavior, it doesn't mean you'll keep doing that, right? So so even if you're generally speaking, very future orientated and very conscientious, for example, it doesn't mean that you can just ignore everything because it just means that you're probably slightly better wired you know, in terms of money behavior, but you've still got to reinforce that. So don't, you know, the biggest mistake we can make is assuming that people who are like that don't need help. You know, we all need help, right? Because there are things in the moment that are going to, again, when we have our, you know, when we have this kind of dopamine or we have these emotions, we have these things flowing through our system that make us feel a certain way um, that, you know, might make us be- behave differently. But I think sort of coming back to your question i think it's um what you can do is in the self-awareness process is then start developing you know sort of um so greg davies from oxford risky calls them decision prosthetics you know so it's almost just things like tips tricks hacks to to help us make better decisions in the moment so so for example i mean if i if i look at myself and my wife i mean i'm i'm more impulsive and i'm more present orientated so I love to travel, right? So I'm very, very happy to spend a lot of money on traveling because it's experience related. Um, but my wife, for example, she's a little bit the opposite. So she she tends to think about the future a bit more and it creates stress for her to spend money on traveling, although she enjoys it as well. So so what we do is, you know, we have a spending council. So, you know, if there's any big ticket items that need to be, you know, money needs to be spent on, we have to both agree on them. Um, so we have to sort of even do a little PowerPoint presentation that's happened before, by the way. Um, so I'm a total nerd <laughs> as well. Um, but even sort of doing a, you know, making a really strong case for why you think something is important and getting your partner to buy in. Of course, it's never as simple, though. There's no one rule that fits or works for everyone because some couples, you know, if you have someone who's a counterbalance to you, you know, there's always going to be a power dynamic in every relationship, right? So some, sometimes your partner is going to enable you and sometimes they're going to, um, well, sometimes they're going to disable you, right? So, so what you need to understand as well that, you know, in anything that you do, the decisions that you take, 
um, you know, in things like being present orientated or future orientated, that you have obviously some kind of agreement as a couple um, and that you can at least buy into the relationship because otherwise it creates stress. So I've got a very good friend of mine who's in exactly the same situation on the reverse side. So, you know, his, when they when him and his um, his kids and his wife go overseas, I mean, their cocktails like 20 euro. And, you know, all he sees is basically he's doing a running total of the balance. Where everyone <laughs> he's else multiplying is multiplying it by 20 exactly, every Everyone time, else yeah. is having a rip-roaring time. And that's a different experience, right? Mm. So some people are having a great time. No, the other person is not having a great time. So that's going to create stress and conflict and and things, um, you know, which are which other things which might come out. So, so one thing, for example, that I use as a spending council, the other thing is, um, you know, I'd love to, I love to always have the newest gadgets and tech, you know, but I, I've made a rule to myself that I don't, I, I need to create a pain of paying, right? So, so if I buy a new iPhone, it has to be cash. So I don't take cell phone contracts, or at least I don't, the data, it makes sense to have on a contract, but to actually finance the handset doesn't it make It doesn't, sense, right? and you get such good deals on take a lot. I've been there, I buy my, my exactly. handsets for, yeah. for cash, yeah. So, you know, create a pain of paying. So when you actually have to put, take money out of your pocket and pay for the handset in cash, it might impact or influence the decision that you make. Um, don't put a residual on a car, you know, those, those kind of things as well, because it probably means that you, you know, if that's the only way you can afford it, it means that you can't afford it. Um, so, you know, create a pain of paying as well if you can. Um, and um, yeah, those are two of the, I mean, two of the mm. tricks, the, the tips and tricks that, that I'd use. Yeah. I, was, I was listening to you thinking, you know, sometimes you get a couple that are both the same personality type yeah. and then, and then it's, it's quite, it can get, things can get quite out of hand quite quickly. <laughs> or you may be single. And I think in those, those circumstances, having an accountability partner outside of your relationships, yeah. for example, and that would be a financial, financial advisor. advisor yeah. um, and I think, or you've just got a friend who's really, I, I'm one of those people with a lot of my family, they run things past me. They never listen to me, mm. but they do run it <laughs> yeah, past you'll me. Say that, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, so then you've got money prudence. What, what is money prudence? Mm. So the, the money prudence, so the, you know, the, um, the, the money prestige thing gives it a good indication of um, you know whether you're using or whether you don't mind using money to influence people. If you think about it, if you if you create a status around money, you're also going to be you know remember, money is a shortcut, right? So you can have the money now because you can finance things, you can take residuals, so you can tr you can show people that you um, that you have money without actually having money. It's mm -hmm. that's quite easy, right? Um, so that's the the kind of expressive part of money. Um, again, low or high is not necessarily good or bad. Just understand a little bit about yourself. On the prudence side, though, we move towards the present versus future orientation. So if you have a high money prudence, for example, you think a lot about the future. If you have a low money prudence, you think a lot about the now, um, which is the, where the impulsivity comes in. So, again, it's not necessarily bad to, 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 to be you know, high or low, but you've got to remember that um, there are consequences for being on either side of that, of, of that scale. Mm -hmm. From a pure money, money behavior point of view, you'd want to be future orientated. Um, but the last one, of course, then it could create stress, um, which is money anxiety. Which is so, do thing. you find people with who are money who are strong on money prudence often have money anxiety? Or it could it could create money anxiety. It could create yeah. money anxiety. So sometimes what happens is you know you're, you're you're overly focused on the future because not having money creates a lot of stress. Um, as you know, so again, I, mean, I keep on referring. It's such a such a good book. But I mean, Morgan Housel talks about the gas station attendant in his book as well. I mean, it's someone who was a was a gas station attendant in America and and saved himself rich, um, wealthy actually, not rich. Um, and, um, you know, this person ended up with $8 million in their bank account, which they then left to charity. And um, so you, you could argue then, you know, well, was that the best way to – was that – did that create the most mm -hmm. amount of utility for that person? Perhaps did, maybe, maybe going to sleep with that sort of money in the bank was, was the secret. But you might say, well, you know, actually life is a little bit more about experiencing as well. So would you rather have die with $8 million in the bank or – 
die with $2 million in the bank, but having seen 20 different countries, you know, so so that's where the money anxiety can create good and bad. Outcomes. Well, I'm thinking of your friend who who freaks out at the cocktails. Exactly. And so me too, I was I was in India um, earlier this month. And, um, you know, I, I'm more on the money prudence anxiety mm-hmm. side. So I get a bit anxious when I'm spending money overseas. And the cocktails and the alcohol, they were really, really, really <laughs> expensive, like really expensive. And uh, eventually on the last night, I thought, no, we were at a lovely club and I thought, no, that's it. I'm going to have a – but I can tell you I did the maths and it still freaked me out. Um, <laughs> but I did try and overcome and, and I think that that is – and I know when you did my money uh, profile, you gave me some really good some really good tips as well as to how to improve my, <laughs> my money attitudes. Um, and one of those was you said with money anxieties, obviously, and so anyone who has money anxiety must have an emergency fund. And that emergency fund may need to be bigger than other people's emergency exactly. funds. Yeah. Um, and I always think of Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you've read you know, of his stuff. Um, he wrote The Total Money Makeover. Mm-hmm. And he he talks about th- an emergency fund switches off that awful, horrible, you know, mm-hmm. churning in the stomach and that anxiety and the, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the throbbing in the neck and the anxiety mm-hmm. and all the rest of it, um, it you know, to anti-heart attack, <laughs> heart attack plan. And I, th- I think, you know, you mentioned even an emergency fund in the last podcast. Uh, for me, it's like, and maybe that's again, I'm keep, I write about emergency funds so often, I'm thinking maybe that's my money anxiety, but I think it's a good yeah. underpin for, for anyone. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, I think there's so many of these things could could help or hinder, you know, financial behavior and, and your how the way you feel about financial behavior as well. So, you know, a lot of the times it's about um, the utility, as I've mentioned, is, is coming from the way you feel in between these things, right? So it's when you buy these, some people who buy these will make these impulsive decisions, then you don't feel great afterwards. So you're not getting the actual benefit that you thought you were, get, you were going to get from the purchases. So I think, you're, you're, you know, the, the money attitudes piece of the puzzle just really gives a good idea of people's day-to-day cash flow management, what, what their natural... Um, predispositions are you know, with regards to their money. Interestingly as well, there was some interesting um, research as well showing that people who are very expressive with money are quite likely to keep money secrets as well. So because money is so important to them, they don't, um, you know, they, they often are the ones with kind of doing stuff on the side, having businesses on the side that are not sort of disclosed in the family in the family um, finances. So, so again, if these things are going to be so important to you, um, it's all about an awareness. Um, there's no good or bad, but there's, um, you know, for a financial advisor, it's it's it provides fertile ground to explore things mm. a little bit more, mm. and I think that's the that's the mm. the true value to mm. this is exploring, and then more very importantly rather is is um, contrasting these things in a couple because they're they're going to be things that might be different. Um, mm. You might be able to very very quickly um, identify a source of conflict in the relationship because of money, and in money is an, is a very emotive topic, so it, it often causes a lot of conflict. And, you know, Paula, I always think it's useful to do, um, to have a conversation about growing up. What was mm. money to you growing up? And, I mean, yeah. you spoke about the car um, yeah. the car example. I also, I was 16 when my father died and we were left financially destitute. Yeah. I don't know where yeah. my money anxiety could possibly come from, yeah. you know. So yeah. we, we just need to reflect back and saying this is where it comes from. Understand it. Share that information with our partner or find an accountability partner. And I, and I also just liked your idea of, of, of so for somebody who um, who's expressive with money, likes to, to, to around money prestige, needs to just make sure that they have, you know, they have a counterbalance to that and they've got a financial plan and they're not spending more than they earn. But the person who perhaps feels guilty always spending money needs to have a guilty fund. Sure, um, exactly. Money that you yeah. put in and you say, which is exactly, by the way, what I did do. Mm. Um, I had a, a card. Uh, I used a, a payment, um, a Forex card that I had and I put 
the money on there and I thought that money is for me to spend on clothes yeah. um, and what I wanted to buy. <laughs> so, and it, that's what it was there for. Um, and I think it is again around having a plan um, and, and just planning around these things. Maybe that's the bottom line. Have a plan. For sure. Absolutely. Because if you've got a plan, I mean, you can then identify and also the stuff is guilt free. You know, if you're mm. going to buy the, if you're going to, you don't have to, if you want to buy a, a Patek Philippe watch or kind of goodness, whatever these expensive things are, that's fine because it's part of the plan. Mm. Um, and if you want to, if that makes you feel good, that's fine. Just make sure that you're, you're getting the utility from the right place. And more importantly, that it's not going to affect your long term mm. financial um, security. Yeah. I have to end off with one last anecdote. You reminded me of, of a friend of mine who um, had a spending thing. And she'd, whenever she saw me, she felt guilty because she had a new handbag. And she was like the 40,000 rand handbag, you know, and the 40, 000, and the, whatever, 10,000 rand shoes and all the rest of it. And she said, Maya, you're going to be so proud of me. I've stopped spending. I've paid off all my credit card debt. I've closed all my store cards because I'm saving and investing for a Porsche. <laughs> and I said, fantastic. At least it's goal orientated. <laughs> so yeah, there you are. Absolutely. It doesn't matter as yeah. long as you're saving investing towards the goal. So I think that's that's a great summary and, and a great way to end off. And Paul, thank you once again. I've had an absolute, uh, this has been so fascinating for me. Um, and I hope our listeners have gained a lot of insight into their own personalities. Yeah, thanks so much, Maya. Yeah, look forward to the next series. Huh?